right, so we are continuing in ancient church history. Remember, that's up till 590. We're not there yet. You know, we're almost towards the end of this. Uh, this week, I think we will talk about liturgy and maybe church and state, depends on how far we go. And hopefully we'll be able to talk about the Council of Nicaea next week. That's my goal. Um, so, yeah, the actual Council of Nicaea. You remember, like, not the one I thought it was last time. <laughs> um, so we'll hopefully we'll be talking about that next week, but um, we'll see. Today we are talking about liturgy. That's a big word. What's it mean? My son knows. Go ahead, tell us, son. That's right, public worship. Liturgy is... Liturgy is those things, those, those, how we did public worship. Now, remember, we've already talked about, like, order of worship and how that went in the late, earlier lessons. It's pretty much the same things going on now, but some things are starting to change, uh, especially as we're dealing with, um, well, the first one is Lord's Supper. With the emphasis on the monarchical bishop, who is believed, remember, he has become the uh, the, the lead authority by a apostolic succession, you know, that person that will become the Pope eventually. We're not there yet, but we're on our way to becoming the Pope. Um, many will think of him as the center of unity and truth and the dispenser of by the means of the, the, the who God dispenses his grace through. Let me put it that way. So he's the head, and God is dispensing his grace through him to everyone else. That includes the sacraments. So it becomes that only the, uh, the clergy and, um, and the bishops can give the sacraments. So remember, before we had the Lord's Supper, it was kind of more of a, community thing or you had locals and leadership that were they were partaking in this last meal the head of the it was actually usually the head of the household just like passover was the head of the household would give the bread the head of the household would give the well as that monarch monarchical bishop the head bishop is developing and uh, and with other religions starting to come in uh, become Christians, they're bringing in their idea that the priesthood is so separate than the laity, that separateness that divides, even to today, uh, I know as a pastor, I f uh, many people look at me as separate. I know you guys don't, but many of people do, you talk about the gym, you know, I go to the gym, I talk to someone, they ask me what I do, I'm a pastor, uh, that's the end of the conversation. Um... Very, very common. That's why pastors have such a hard time making friends. Um, it's, uh, you know, go online. There's lots and lots of articles about how hard it is for pastors to make friends. Um, 
but it's, it comes from this idea that develops starting at this time period that the, the priesthood is separate from everybody else. And it was probably something that was aided by other religions coming in and joining with Christianity. And like as they came in and they joined in, their priesthood was separate. Often very much separate, lived separate, did worked in, was very separate. You couldn't even in some religions you can't even see the priest. They're they're blocked off by uh, by other rooms, and they would preach to you through through uh, curtains. Um, oh no! This is this is this is the church is developing into this. This is what the church is becoming. So. At first, it was more like Judaism, you know, because it comes from Judaism. But as more people come in, as they head bishops, like we had Alexandria, Carthage, Jerusalem, Rome especially, as these head bishops develop, like these are the sinners, it becomes separate. And so we start seeing an emphasis like at Lord's Supper that only the bishop can present Lord's Supper. It's not just something the family does or groups of people does, it becomes just the pastor does. And, um, and so we start seeing this, this, this transition. And so baptism and, Lord, uh, and, and Lord's Supper are two things that, um, that get accredited to only the minister. And that's not, not found in the scriptures. I, I'm going to remind you that the baptism is not something that was said only the pastor could do. It was... We was told all the disciples go and baptize. Um, but be, as it becomes this hierarchy of in the ministry, uh, in the bishophood, it becomes like only the credited minister can do this. Um, and and some of this was to protect the church itself, as we're starting to see all these heresies. Remember, we've been talking about heresies, all these different heresies that have come in and out, um, because they so so they want to protect against that. Um, but Lord's Supper was the, one of the first ones to be taken that uh, it developed into the idea that it was the bishop, and then baptism. Uh, now this picture here is a picture um, that I took um, from that book I was talking about, that church history book. That, uh, um, but it's uh, excavation at the Dura Europa, which along the Euphrates rivers in eastern Syria of a private house converted for the use of Christian congregation. This is the reconstruction of the baptistry that was uh, inside the home. Some of the first churches were reconstructed. It's not like they went out and bought a special building for it. They would repurpose homes for it. Or meet in catacombs, which we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but baptism um, became is an act. Uh, it became an act of initiation into the Christian church, and uh, was usually performed either at Easter or Pentecost. It wasn't like you know, like we do. You know, just whenever you, we have someone that needs to be baptized, we either go down the river or we fill up the tub. Um, this was, uh, they would only do it once or twice a year. Um, now, part of that is because there's no running water, <laughs> no plumbing. Um, 
And so they would do that uh, at Easter or Pentecost, and uh, it would become a celebration. Like you'd bring everyone who had gathered, accepted Christ, or become Christians, converts in that time period. Um, at first, the faith of Christ, all that you needed was faith in Christ and then baptism. That was, that was step one, step two. Um, by the end of the second century, um, there's a probationary period that's been added in, which some of you actually went through. You guys have a Catholic background. Some of you went through that. The catechism, the uh, catechumen, uh, was a test to see the reality of the experience of convert and to teach you the faith. This period, this year-long period, became has gone back as far as the second century. Um, the period of the catechisms probably uh, came in with the um, other religions, so many other religions and so many heresies developing. They wanted you to make sure that you were real before you went to baptism. Um, and so baptism became the, um, the, the baptism became that first Assyrians and uh, catechism was added. Um, but then you would go through catechism and they would line everyone up, gather everyone up that had accepted in the year and do one massive celebration baptism where you might baptize a few or hundreds of people, depending on what size of your church you were and how many converts you would have and stuff like that. So, um, those are the ones that would be on TV, right? <laughs> I said those are the ones that would be on TV. <laughs> um, baptism was normally done by immersion. On occasion, pouring was practice. And sometimes the sprinkling. But immersion has always been the most popular one um, in the, the ancient church. Infant baptism was um, introduced at this time period. Um, a lot of it has to do with the idea of the... Um, well, there was two things happening here. One, there's a high infant mortality rate. And they began to argue, do our children go to heaven if they are not baptized? And so there's, the Bible is actually not real clear about this subject, about, about babies going to heaven. It's, that's not something they were thinking about at the time because Jews, believers went. The, Jew, the, they, the Bible is not really about the things we think about. They were part of the Jewish faith. Of course they went to. Yeah, circumcised. At eight days they were circumcised. The, you know, you were part of the, the Jewish culture, the religion, culture, ethno culture that all goes together. You were a Jew. Of course you went. And then as they started adding more people, these questions start coming up. But the Bible is not real clear. Uh, it's not really. It was not speaking about these things in in, in, in direct detail. Like, what do we do with baby baptism? You know, and so they start to to argue about this. Um, we've already talked about Cyprian and Tertullian. Uh, Tertullian is opposed to baby baptism. Cyprian is for baby baptism. And uh, 
So as you read both uh, early church fathers, you're going to see a different uh, arguments for this. Um, Uh, in the early world, they were, but very early on, they started moving indoors, especially as they started interacting with the Roman world. See, the Israelites bathed outside. They'd bathe in the river. They'd bathe on the bathtub. Well, that was seated by the, the you know, up on the roof. Um, but as they come in contact with the Roman world, they have indoor bathing. Uh, baths. The Roman baths are very famous um, where they would all gather for bathing and, and live very luxurious living and, and stuff like that. So the idea of take, baptism moving inside, inside was, was, you know, why would you do it outside? That was their way of thinking. Why would you do it inside? Our house has a bath. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so very quickly it moves into those sores as it moves to the Greco-Roman world. Um, though, outdoor baptism was still not uncommon, especially in the rural areas. Uh, baptism versus dedication versus baptism for salvation purposes. That is actually one of the arguments that will be, even at this time, they're starting to argue that. Um, and some one some go this way and some go this way and um, you know I've always come on the side of baby dedication and then baptizing for believers, um, but um, but this argument is all the way back in the second century. So uh, yeah, but as this so as these things develop though. You're also saying that uh, only the priest could uh, um, could baptize. Uh, uh, um, well, we'll get to this picture in a minute. Uh, the next thing, um, so you have Lord's Supper and baptisms that are starting to change, but we also see a change in feasting. Remember we talked about the the early church, you had your Lord's Supper, and then you had a love feast. Uh, that starts to fall out of favor. And in favor of more uh, cyclical feasts, like Easter feast. Like you only have it at Easter. Probably because they were mimicking the Jewish Passover. Um Then eventually you'll have Christmas feast, which actually is not till about 350 when Christmas is adopted in the Western culture. Um, Christmas very late into the game. Um, part of that is because the early Christian church did not celebrate birthdays. Um, think about it in your Bibles. Where does it talk about like celebrating someone's birthday? Um, it's 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 really a, we would call it pagan idea. Other cultures celebrated birthdays, but actually they were usually 
when you were birthed, actually it starts out as when a king or an emperor or pharaoh was birthed, became the, where the, became the uh, the incarnation of a god, a deity. And so they took on their second birth. And so that was the celebration they would celebrate. The idea of a normal person celebrating a birthday every year was, you know, because these things cost money. And, you know, having a celebration like that is not something they would have thought about. We're really kind of spoiled in the way we think of, oh, it's my birthday. I should have take the day off and eat some cake and, and get some people should guy, buy me gifts. And they would have been like, no. <laughs> One, it's just another day. Get to work. <laughs> it's not the Sabbath. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, it's when other cultures start coming in that they celebrated birthdays, that they started asking the natural question, well, when can we celebrate Jesus' birthday? And by then, the dating was lost. So there's calculations that made... I'm actually going to put a link to some a very good article in the newsletter that'll come out uh, what on the first, so so you guys can read that then. Um, but yeah, um, but yeah. So after about 350, you'll have the Christmas feast. You have the Easter feast, the Christmas feast, and then um, you'll have a feast after Lent. Um, you know. Now, what you're seeing here in this picture here is another change that's happening. Because of persecution, especially in Rome, and about the even before the year 313, which is some of the earliest stuff we have, um, the catacombs of Rome were made, they were uh, worshiping Christ inside the catacombs. Um, These places were made of miles of underground passages, often on different levels below the surface of the ground. Uh, evidence of Christian art, such as the symbols of fish, the dove, and figures associated with Christianity have been found in some of the graves. Um, they were rediscovered in the year 1578. And the oldest surviving building was a church, a house in Dora Europa, which was that one we saw before. This is the oldest surviving house church we know of that we have. That we have. Um, this one was from about 232, and it was excavated at a Yale University expedition. But, um, yeah, worshiping. In, how many of you guys want to go worship down there in the dark? Um, Uh, you know, uh, when um, I was thinking about these um, in, in the catacombs, how dark it is in these places. How many of you guys have been like Mammoth Caves or Carlsbad Caverns? Um, you go down in these caves, and I don't know if they, they did when you were there. I'm, I, both of the tours, I've been to Carlsbad and Mammoth Caves, and both of the tours, they turned the lights out at you at one point. And it's, it's totally dark. You cannot see. Um, and so the idea of getting trapped down in these catacombs uh, is kind of scary. But uh, they would bring the lanterns in. and um, 
line them up behind the pastor or the preacher or whoever's teaching so that uh, um, you weren't leaving till it was done. <laughs> no, but also so you could see the person speaking. Um, but yeah, um, the pagans, the other people, looked upon the worshipers in the churches or especially in the catacombs as antisocial. Um, as they were worshiping in such a way. Uh, well, some of those are just candles, and that's the way it captures up against the limestone. Okay. Uh, so that's why it looks like there's fires burning. And this is actually a well-lit area for tourists, so... <laughs> Well, they might have looked like that, you know, but they would have been darker. Like you see in the doorway there, it's very well lit. That's because it's, um, it's for tourists to go into. Damp and wet, and that's where they kept dead people. And also where the sewer went. And... Uh, <laughs> and so they would... They would worship among the dead. Um, especially, and a lot of this happens because of, uh, well, one, it was a place to worship that was free, but also because of persecution. They go down underground. When you talk about the underground church, they meant the underground church. Literal. You go hide under the ground in the catacombs so that the church could meet without fear of someone coming in and, and arresting them and killing them and taking them off to court. Um, what's that? Persecution was from the government, yes, uh, among others, but uh, uh, we did talk about that already, but uh, persecution, uh, when Christianity became started growing, it threw off the economic and religious and social culture and so the persecution from the government grew as and grew and grew uh, especially as it started interfering with the the, the, the economic uh, side of things um, but um but yeah, but despite all that, the persecution, um, it, um, the church will continue to grow. Now, um, the next part, um, really from 313 to 590, we're kind of at the end of, the, end of my lessons, uh, getting towards the end here, a few more weeks. Um, Some of the stuff we needed, yeah, I know, for this section. Then we're going to go on to the, the Dark Ages. But uh, so some of the stuff that I'm going to talk about here, I'm going to assume, and, I, and by how many people you uh, requested it, most of you did not. I'm going to assume you know some things about Roman history and the fall of Roman history. <laughs> um. 
because I've posted a few videos, uh, uh, links, and I gave you guys a few links in the descriptions um, for two YouTube videos that we're just not going to watch. I guess we could watch them together if you guys want to, but it seems like most people have been against that, so... But uh, the Roman growth and then decline is very important to church history because Rome becomes, well, the Roman Empire is where the church is at. They're a part of the Roman Empire. You know, after the collapse of the Roman Empire, it takes a thousand years for the Western world to recover economically. Uh, so as it starts to decline, that's why between the years 375 and 1090, we have what's called the Dark Ages. Now, a lot of people will try to blame like the Dark Ages because of Christianity, but Christianity was just part of the, uh, you know, there was things they did wrong and things they did right. They may have helped lead to some of the lack of technology, but they were actually some of the people that led them out of, the tech, out of it. The collapse of the Roman Empire economically destroyed the people the barbarian um, tribes came in and, uh, and, and attacked not only the Romans, but they also attacked the church as well. Um, um, so it does, um, it does threaten the church and it does influence how things work for the church. And because of this monar monarchical bishophood, Rome, the church in Rome becomes the head, and the class of the Roman Empire, we have all these different things that happen in the church because of all this economic downturn, um, good and bad. Um, things like monasteries will pop up during this time. Uh, and monasteries, some of us seem really kind of weird, like why would you go live off by yourself? And But they would devote themselves to God. Some of it was... Um, and, but, the, but one of the great things about monasteries is they were a place where manuscripts were preserved and copied, including the Bible. The Bible survives because of monasteries at this time period, because they're, they're writing down the Bible. Before the printing press, Dark Ages is going on. A majority of people cannot read. There's no education. Most people are living in a hovel. You have a feudal system that's rising up in many places. Um, you know, some return to old tribalisms. They have the barbarians coming in and taking over. You have a lot of stuff going on during this time period. And so, um, so monasteries actually became a place where things are protected. They, well, not all of them. Yes, monasteries tended to be more self-sufficient. Uh, to answer your question, yes, most of them were. Now, not all of them. Some of them did rely on the neighbors for farming and for uh, trade or other things. So they would, uh, some of the monasteries would grow certain things and they'd trade with their neighbors or they would uh, make certain things. Or some of them were carpenters and they, so would, they would go in and trade. Uh, or they would trade things like the writing abilities to to towns for um, 
to write letters or draft uh, draft stuff up for the le for other people, let letters, that kind of stuff, so they could pay for this for their survival and allow them to buy things. Uh, <coughs> Um, depends on who you read on that. Were monasteries able to help in the recovery? Um, depends on who you read on that. Some blame Christianity for the Dark Ages. You know, Christianity kept it in. But I think a lot of the, the monasteries did because almsgiving and helping of the poor has always been a, an important part of the, the church. Now, we do have history, part, periods of histories, and you can go read about those where they did horrible on this and we built very big lavish you know buildings and castles and some people got very wealthy off of it because they were abusing the their position you know that happens whenever you have power um someone that doesn't falls into sin or never was a believer in the first place grabs that power and uh causes problems but uh but yes monasteries would have been helping at these times including providing places for healing and uh, the time was dark, like I said, economics overturned, education goes down because economics, you know, if you're working all the time, you don't have time to become an ec economically, uh, you don't have be educational, so that if we're a doctor, people forget how to do things like healing. It's amazing how fast we forget things, like, you know, it scares me sometimes, what if we turn into a economic, you know, how fast, how many of us know how to do things like basic, you know, healing, you know, we go to a doctor for everything. You know, we go to the hospital, you know, uh, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah, we, we will get to that. But yes, um, it's Constantine, um, he, he's one of the leaders in moving, not the leader, but he's one of the leaders of the moving uh, worship from Saturday to Sunday. Um, because of a lot of different reasons, um, the Lord's Day, um, anti-Semitism, they hated Jews at this time period. Got to blame someone, right? Um, uh, it was also a pagan holiday because it was the day you worship the sun. That's where Sunday comes from. Um, so anyways, there's a lot of different reasons why they moved that over, but... Um, but during this time period, we also see um, that the um, the church and the state begin to merge into one. Christianity becomes more popular, and so um, so at first it was very separate. You know, the church was being persecuted by the state. Well, uh, Constantine, we've mentioned Constantine already, he will actually make it the religion of the state in the Byzantine Empire, which ended persecution, but it also put state and church together in one basket that led to a lot of corruption over the years and at some points, the church is ruling the state. Sometimes the state is ruling the church. And sometimes you can't tell the two into a part. Um, 
and they say, well, in the name of Jesus, but it's really in the name of power of the state, you know. Um, and so these things... Um, Oh, it eased the persecution, but it did a lot of other things. I was actually, I'm, um, I actually believe that uh, Constantine um, ending the persecution and making it the state religion is the worst thing that ever happened to Christianity. Where it's uh, illegal to read the Bible? Uh, well, it's not illegal, it just not available if only the priest read and that's that's much much later in history a thousand years later um but that's after they translate it into latin and then the people stop speaking latin um if no one speaks it then you can't read it so it's not illegal to read it can't and <laughs> and uh so yeah, it is hard to have them for us in our society where you can get a Bible anywhere. Um, you know, especially here in the United States. You want a Bible? Open up your phone. There's a hundred free ones right there. Um, you can't read? Well, you can listen to it. Um, yeah, that'll actually come as the state... Um, State the actually the hierarchy. That's what I was saying. The, as the state becomes more, uh, the the monarchical bishops and the the state merge so much that it does become. Well, I have the power, and I'll tell you how to read the Bible. Um, you can't read it for yourself. Um, but that's not yet. Um, All right, I'm going to skip some of this because I'm going to assume you've read some of it. Like, um, you've listened to some of the things like Diocletian and... Uh, um, some of the church history that I gave you access to. There's Constantine. Uh, Constantine ruled from 385 to 337. He was the illegitimate son of the Roman military leader, Conscious, and the beautiful Christian oriental woman named Helena. Um, how many of you guys know the story of, of Constantine and his battle? Where he saw... Okay. At one point he's at war, right? And his enemies... And this is about 312 A.D., Eighty-three, twelve. His enemies are about to overwhelm, and he said that he has a vision of the cross in the sky and the words, in this sign, conquer. And so he's going to take the cross and make it his symbol that he conquers the rest of the world and makes the Byzantine Empire with. Uh, he takes this as a favorable omen and went on to defeat his animal enemies at the Battle of Mulvavian Bridge over the Tiberia River. Um, did this vision actually occur? Eh, historians debate the idea. But what it does is, um, is allows him to use a new symbol that a lot of people have already accepted at Christianity, but to turn Christians into a military force and to support his military movements. 
So he uses the symbol, whether he becomes a Christian or not, and historians debate this subject. He uses Christianity to become his new military force, and he shifts from persecution of these people to using them as his number one political supporters and military might. Um, he actually delays his baptism until right before he dies. Um, that leads a lot of people to wonder, you know, what is he doing here? <laughs> um, and uh, he uh, will actually keep the title, he gives up the title of Pontiff Maximus, right before he dies as well, which is the uh, chief priest of the pagan state religion. Um, so it seems like he's using Christianity. To me, it seems like he's using Christianity. But some people argue that he really accepted Christ, and, and uh, you know, I can't judge his heart. But to me, as I read the history books and I read what he did, it kind of seems like he was using political power and saying, oh, there's Christians Let's use them to muster our, our political power. By the way, we see the same thing happening today as people, well, let's candor to this group of religion or this group of people, this group of people, they will, get you, they will say whatever they need to say to get you to vote for them. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I, I go, you know, at Easter. Um, <laughs> um, you know, and that's, um, and, you know, so, I, you know, and so we see, I, and as I see Constantine, I see that he was using this, his position to enable this group of people to become his, 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 his supporters and his fighting force. Um, it's in 313 that uh, he and Lucinius um, will grant freedom of worship in the Edict of Milan, to all people, so that we no longer, so Christians are no longer persecuted. Um, and um, during the next few years, like I said, it's right before he dies, Constantine issues edicts, and that brought about the uh, restoration of constant property to the church. He will subsidize the church by state money. He will. Um, the exemption of clergy from per, uh, public service. He will ban soothsaying. And then, as I say, as we're going to get to it, he sets aside the day of the sun as a rest day to, and worship day. Um, so that's the reason we still worship on Sunday. Which is why you will hear me say, I don't know if it's always a good thing. Sometimes I kind of wish we'd go back Saturday. <laughs> um, it'd be Friday evening and Saturday morning. Arguably. Um. If you, so it should be on Sunday when they went and visited him. Um, 
though it could have been well anyways <laughs> this is not a, we're not this is, we're not going to get into that debate um but that's one of the reasons they moved it to Sunday was because it was, became, it was the Lord's Day. It was the day of the resurrection. Um, but there's a lot of other reasons they did it as well. Because um, we don't actually worship on the Sabbath. We worship on the Lord's Day. I know it. Because, uh, oh, why don't we call it S, for those listening online, why, that's a very good question. Why do we not call it S-O-N-D-A-Y? Because it's still named after sun, the day of the worship of the sun. It's never lost its pagan roots. Well, but the days of the week are still named, like Thursday, still named after Thor's day. We've never lost our, 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 our pagan roots on, those, on our week, uh, days of the week. Never lost those. Um, so like I said, that's, um, but he does move it. And so we still have church on Sunday, the day of Sabbath, uh, the, as the Lord's day, not the Sabbath day. Um, I, I just, it's very clear that we don't worship church on the Sabbath. We worship it on the Lord's day. Um, because we can't be saying it's the Sabbath, because it's not. <laughs> now, you may take your Sabbath on the Sunday, but it is not the Sabbath. That would be Friday night, Saturday, if you're going to follow the, the, the calendar, which is when I take my Sabbath. Uh, it was my day off, right? Um, I do not... And Sundays are not a day off for me. <laughs> Sundays are a full-on work day. Um, but um, so, but in addition to granting freedom and favors the church um, and and bringing the service of the empire, Constantine in three thirty founded the city of Constantinople. Um, he active. He 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 helped to divide the east and the west. Actually, we have the east um, and the, the what we call the eastern world and the western world because of Constantine. Um, the Great Schism will not happen until the year 1054, which we will talk about when we get to 1054. But he helps pave the way for that schism to happen. 700 years later. Um, Constantinople will become the center of political power in the east um, and the bishop of Rome will in 479, 476 will become the spiritual power in the west sons of Constantine um continued his political favoring of the church and even went beyond to the extent that they forced pagans to into um, banning he they, they, they banned pagan sacrifices and attending pagan temples and so they actually 
like instead of just letting people worship, they actually flipped the circle, started persecuting other religions in the name of Jesus. And like I said, this is where I, I, I just, I have trouble. This, my heart aches for this because instead of, ex, instead of bringing people into discipleship, they started persecuting in the name of Jesus. And that makes my heart hurt. And we'll see this continue at t- different times throughout history. Um, and it actually hurts the church when we, we do this kind of behavior. Oh, it may lead to more, a lot of curve, con, you know, converts right away, but it hurts the church. Uh, TV evangelist is another thing altogether that um, is, uh, there are some good ones and some very, very, very bad ones. <laughs> Yes, they, some, some of them are using Jesus to push their own power circle. It's all about power. And wealth brings power. Um, however, um, Christianity will not solely be the, the state at this time. When Emperor Julian comes around in 332 to 363, well, in 361, he, he moves to the throne and uh, he forces, uh, uh, well, Julian had been forced to accept Christianity outwardly. Um, the, the death of his relatives at the hands of Christian rulers uh, he studied philosophy at Athens, and he became a follower of Neoplatonism, which we have already talked about. And um, after he became ruler, he starts, uh, he gives aid to the spread of pagan philosophies and, and stops some of this persecution by the church. Um, but it's only temporary. Later reader will become Christianity, Christians and will start... Uh, uh, pushing that uh, Christianity on people again. Uh, all right. I'm going to talk about one more thing real real quickly, and I'm going to post a video uh, probably on next week's thing uh, description if you want to watch it, or you can email me, and I will send you the information, the link. Um, about the church and the barbarians. Um, that one right there. We're not going to watch that. It's uh, 38 minutes long. Um, <laughs> but, um, and I'll send you a link to it later. Um, unless you guys want to watch it next week, we could. You guys decide, let me know. Um, We'll take a vote next week. Beginning, beginning, you know, obviously, do you mean election? You mean to keep going, or we watch the video? Okay, so we'll we'll take a vote next time. Anna, remind me to take a vote at the beginning of next time. <laughs> um, all right. So the barbarians will come in and exen- and it will lead to the destruction of the Roman Empire. Uh, Rome itself will be sacked in four ten. Um, and uh, and um, 
and, and different culture, different uh, and different areas will be captured by the barbarians, and the nation, the Roman Empire, will fall apart. Uh, groups like the Ozagoths, um, the Anglo-Saxons will come into England at this time and drive out the Christians, and um, the Huns will move in. Um, and the Christian church will have to contend with all these new people coming in and conquering, and some of them will bring in their own religions, and they will be violent towards Christianity once again. Um, and uh, just as it seems in about f- when Christianity might be starting to come back in, as leadership in this movement, um, the Muslims and the Aryans um, uh, come in um, in about the 6th century. Um, so it's going to be a devastating area to, for the whole world because of the, the as these people come in and conquer the, the the whole known world, the Western world. I guess we saw even we have the East and the West, but the West, the what we call the Western world, uh, will go into a financial ruin because of all this. So, um, yeah. So um, next time we'll either vote, we'll, we'll either watch the video on the fall of Rome, very fascinating, or we'll start talking about um, the creeds, um, namely the Nicene Creed, but we have a lot of history to cover through a lot of material before we can actually talk about the conference, um, like who the people were and what the arguments were. So... Any questions, comments, concerns? Because we don't have time right now. We can't watch the video right now because we don't have time, son. (laughs) Anything else? All right, let's close in prayer. Father God, we praise you today, Lord. We thank you for this wonderful blessing of just coming together, Lord. We pray that you just help us to learn from the past, the good, the bad, and help us to move forward with your grace and mercy as we extend your love to the world around us. Let us not rule, but let us be with your peace, not as the world gives peace, but your understanding, your peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Yes, happy Thanksgiving.